0: hello. I didn't see you standing there. See, I sometimes just get so wrapped up in, in my music and expressing myself. See, music is, is my passion. It's life, and sometimes I just get lost in it. I didn't mean to be rude to you as you walked into my room. My name is Will with the church split, and you just heard me playing hallelujah, which, if anyone knew anything about music at all, it's not even evil sounding, is it? Yes, so many people would tell you that it is. And that just devastates my musical heart. So we're gonna talk about happy sounds and happy music and we're not gonna let those people get us down today, okay? As we express ourselves. Just kidding, we're gonna talk about a topic that's gonna split your church and I'm not gonna have any more of it because music is a dumb reason for there to be division in the body. So you guys ready? Stick around and let's do this thing. Hi guys, welcome to The Church Split. You know what we do here, we help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and talk about topics that split churches. But before we do that, smash the like button and subscribe button, hit that little notification bell so you get to be notified about every single one of our fire episodes. Anyhow, guys, today we're talking about music, as uh, the intro would give would uh, probably suggest. Now, I'll have you guys know the pain I go through to give you guys this quality content. Do you know how hard it is to play violin in, like, a gaming chair this close to a mic on a wide uh, – like, a jacket on a wide desk? Like, it's all, like, really hard for me to pull that off. Um, I probably screwed that up, like, 15 times. It's because my, like – arm kept like hitting something or smacking the mic so anyway i'm glad that's over me and my brilliant ideas but anyhow guys today we are talking about music but uh one thing i did want to mention is that we do have new merch on the merch store uh by the way just so you guys are aware there's barely any markup on that stuff because it's custom so uh if for us to try to make a decent profit we would charge way too much money so that's basically all the way down uh but this one i'm wearing my molinism like Calvinism, but for intellectuals if you guys don't know what molinism is sounds like you need to go back check out our dr braxton hunter and our dr tim stratton interviews so you know exactly what that is and i do plan to approach uh that topic personally on our channel but anyway guys enough about that and more about music so uh, I'm a musician, and obviously, I mean, you don't play violin just because you, su- you, know, you aren't a musician. I am a musician. I play violin, piano, guitar, and I do sing, or at least I attempt to. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I sing tenor um, and bass uh, in an a cappella choir uh, all throughout high school that traveled the state. And actually, we, were, we won many different festivals and things along that nature. Uh, then also, I was in an uh, orchestra that traveled again. We went to states, things along that. I also went to states with the violin. And there's a lot of things. So music has been a big part of my life. And it's a big passion of mine. Now, with my background in the Independent Fundamental Baptists, uh, they were very strict on music. And this is actually so alcohol was the topic that first broke me out of like my uh, the idea I need to start studying this more. But music is the if, if alcohol is the topic that broke me, music is the topic that made it possible because the more and more i was around music the more and more i started realizing how many arbitrary things were people were coming up with in um when it came to their music like there as far as strictness goes in churches one of the things i wanted to point out too is uh the rfp network many people i think have already covered this i think 26 letters has covered the music topic and i know that the rfp themselves have done like four different episodes on it uh, that's. I, I'm not here to add to that conversation. You can go to that and hear about the heart of worship and all that. We'll hit some of that. Today is a topic I have. I've actually literally put this off since I probably started the church split uh, about two and a half years ago, and that is mainly because I didn't want to. Uh, I don't. It was the amount of time that it took to put this together because I wanted. I wanted examples, I wanted history, and I and if anyone knows me, I don't like to do these sorts of topics halfway. I like to take a dive and I don't care how long it takes. That's why a lot of people, they'll keep their podcasts always at an hour. I will go as long as three hours if I find it necessary. It's just, we uh, we are gonna be done when we're done. And uh, this is one of those topics I've wanted to cover, but I knew it was daunting. And it was just like taking the time to sit down, put my thoughts together, in a way that I think can be cohesive and understanding to all of you. So today, guys, we're not going to go do a surface level. We are going to dig deep because as a musician, there are so many th- wrong things said about music in churches today, and people are so clueless about music. It's laughable, okay? There's no other word for that besides laughable, So I am going to make sure that we go through all of this. I'm going to break it down. So guys, stick around, and we are going to hit this topic by topic. But first, we're going to hit this biblically. So the Bible has a lot to say about music. Here's a list of the references I have in my notes. You can see all that right there. Uh, I'm just going to read only a couple to you, okay? Okay. Psalm 153 through 6 Let's praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance. Don't tell the Baptists. don't tell the Baptists that they dance. Praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, the first thing to notice is that in a lot of churches, like in the churches I grew up in, drums were no good. You do not do a drum set. You don't do drums and percussion instruments. Uh, we all, I also hear people say things like, uh, you know, you shouldn't have worldly instruments or the music service is too loud. And here we hear like loud crashing cymbals. That's what's commanded here. We are told to praise God with basically any instrument we have available to us. And then we read Psalm 98, 1 through 7, and it says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. And I just want to kind of hang out on that. I don't want to go through the entire thing, but it bursts into jubilant song with music as part in that. It's sound of singing with trumpets and a blast of ram's horn. So this is loud. But notice it says a new song, which also means creativity in in many ways, right? It's a new song that God is the creator, we're the creation, and... We ought to express that we are created in God's image. And now, what does that mean? Well, it means we have some God's, some of God's attributes, at least similarities. He's a creator, so now we create, and so we ought to be creating new songs to God. So there's always something, you know, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Therefore, I should be giving it my best. That's why I actually have an issue with a lot of uh, a lot of songs, uh, because just not saying they're wrong, but just saying that. For me, I'm like, gosh, we can do so much better than four-chord praise and worship songs, guys. We serve the God of the universe who created all things, and we can't get a little bit more creative? Come on. But uh, also, Second Chronicles says uh, in five, chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, the trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Uh, then also, of course, probably, uh, around we have a picture of around the throne uh, Revelation 5 8, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the land, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, wh- uh, which are the prayers of the saints. And Ephesians 5, f- uh, 18 through 21 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in Psalms hymns and spiritual songs we're going to talk about that here in a minute singing making melody in this to the lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting to one another out of reverence for christ so we see that music is a big deal to god now you don't see like moral parameters uh you'll also notice that all the verses here talk about you know just raising god's name up in music but it says nowhere in scripture that music is exclusively for God. It just says using music for God. Just like the Bible would say to use our money to give to God so that way we can help the things of God or help people who are in need, Uh, but it doesn't mean that all our money is only ever used for the church or any of our skills in general. So one of the biggest issues I have with the modern music controversy in the church is that uh, certain people think that all secular music is bad. Well, no, it's not, and there's nowhere in Scripture where it even indicates such. So I want to go through some weird interpretations of certain Scripture verses before I jump into the technicality of this topic. So first off, weird interpretations. So in Exodus 32, 17 through 18, people will reference this area of, like, songs of war, that is kind of mentioned in here. And they'll be like, see? there That's why rock music is wrong, because it's songs of war. And we shouldn't sing secular music, because it's like songs of war to God. I've had a, a friend of mine who used to be a Ruckmanite use this argument against me. And it is and it, there's two terms uh, you guys need to get used to when you're listening to us. There's exegesis, which is exa- taken from the text, exactly what it says. And then eisegesis, which is what we insert into the text. Uh, calling this uh, actually like rock music or anything or secular music as an excuse for that is absolute eisegesis it's completely inserting into the text uh, so it says right here in verse 17 and when Joshua heard the noise of the uh, noise of the people as they shouted he said unto Moses there is a noise of war in the camp and he said it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome but the noise of them that sing do I hear? So the people will make this weird connection of like seeing, see also so I sing that I hear and all there's sounds of war in the camp. See, this is secular. This is not referring to secular music. This is dealing with the absolute chaos of pagan worship in this context, okay? Do not twist these words. Plus, this would imply that songs of war are also wrong, right? Because people say, well, songs of war, there's nowhere in scripture where it says songs of war are bad. In fact, we have the Israelites who walk around Jericho blasting horns. Also, we see that they are used uh, by Gideon here in a minute. We see instruments being used for that. So there isn't such thing as evil songs of war. So, there is a time for songs of war. In fact, uh, the song "Jerusalem of Gold," one of the national anthem, the national anthem to uh, Israel. Uh, there's an interesting history of that actually being sung into battle during old times. So also Amos six five says. Um, Uh, Some people use Amos 6.5, I should say, as an excuse to say that musical instruments are bad. They're sinful, they're evil, they're wrong. These are places like Church of Christ. These are places like the Primitive Baptists. And I'm just going to be honest, and I'm going to say it very frankly here. This is the dumbest interpretation anyone could ever take of this verse to somehow mean that all instruments are sinful for us to use on earth. Um, It says in the KJV, uh, Amos 6.5, it says this, that chant to the sound of vial... Uh, or veal, and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. So they would, they, what they do to th- say that these are evil is they take the idea of uh, veal or vile, and they say, well, and, like, and they invent themselves instruments of music, and vile or veal means something like bad or evil or vain, okay? That uh, mostly vain is what it would be saying. In the ESV, it says, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, like David, invent for themselves instruments of music. Now, both of these, what you were doing here is again, isogening. It says, like David, like David used instruments, so did these people. That's also saying, you know, like David used a sling, so did these guys to fight their battles. Just because it uses a comparison doesn't, as far as just the object is concerned, doesn't mean the rest of the context follows the same line of thought. Because notice this: what's considered idle? Well, here it's the the that chant to the sound of veal, or who sing idle songs? It's the songs or the topics that are vain. It is not the instruments. But even then, if it was the instruments, that's not saying instruments are bad. It is merely saying that they use them in vain because we know that ina- the objects are inanimate, that uh, objects are amoral. You cannot use uh, my iPad sitting in front of me is amoral. It does not have a morality. It's how I use it. Same with instruments. Also, it's really easy to debunk this because ancient Israel had plenty of instruments, and God even commanded that they be used even in war. Judges seven twenty in the KJV says this and the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried the sword of the Lord and the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Joshua 6, 4, and the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day, ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Also, by the way, there are instruments around the throne of heaven itself. And Hebrews makes very clear that which is done there is merely a shadow of things in heaven. Things are done here are merely shadow of things in heaven. So it would be silly to say it's a sin here but not in heaven. Because if what's being done here is a shadow of what's in heaven and heaven uses instruments, then we get to use them too. You, it's, it, it makes no sense for us to say, well, it's moral in heaven, but it's not moral on earth. There's not a singular part of like everything in heaven would be just as moral as it is on earth. So this whole thing is one of the, it, it, it is, I hate to say it, it's just dumb, it's asinine, okay? it is a really bad interpretation of scripture because you're taking one little part and you're running with it while ignoring all the other parts in between those verses. And it's very clear in Amos 6, five that is the songs being sung. In other words, their hearts are far from God. It's the songs that are sung that are idle, not David, not his instruments, but like David, they made themselves instruments. Anyway, I can hardly, I'm going to be like a basic white chick right now. I can't even with that interpretation. Anyway, then there's this weird other interpretation I've heard of songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So like in Colossians 3.16 or that one I quoted from Ephesians earlier, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I've heard, I've literally heard from the pulpit. Uh, at Crown College, at Temple Baptist Church, a man said that these are like psalms, like psalms from our hymn book, psalms from our Bibles, hymns like hymns from our hymn book, and spiritual songs is like our choruses. That is not even remotely close to what this is. Our hymns did not exist, and we're going to go through that here in a minute, and we're going to go through uh, actual music history here. Our style of hymns did not come for hundreds of years after this is written, if not thousands, okay? Okay. So that's not an accurate interpretation at all. They had their own music back then, and it was very foreign to what we sing now in our churches, what we consider holy in churches, uh, which is why, uh, actually, all those things that are holy in our churches that we consider holy, as far as songs are concerned, is actually very arbitrary. It's all cultural and preferential. But we're going to get into that. So uh, so in the first century, uh, basically, these definitions were not the same as they are today. And also, these are not the same choruses, hymns, and songs of today. This is inserting a 21st century belief into the text. We're reading the Bible with Western eyes. And the Bible is not written with Western eyes or by Western authors. So it's important to keep that in mind. Now, also, I wanted to point out what historical Jewish music sounded like because Israel, of course, were the people who worshipped Hashem first, which Hashem is Hebrew for the name, which is God. So they were the ones who worshipped Hashem. They're the ones who brought Hashem to the rest of the world. Uh, So Jewish music. So one of the things I've heard before, uh, the reason why contemporary Christian music is bad, CCM for short, uh, for those who do not know CCM or contemporary Christian music is a lot of stuff you hear on Christian radio today. So what I've heard about contemporary Christian music is this idea that it's, it's highly expressive, it's too rhythmic, it's very flashy, and uses all these roles, and it's hard to follow, and it's all about showing off your skill rather than praising God, as if one can't show their skill while also praising God. Oddly enough, most churches like skillful singers and uh, musicians to perform, right? Well, when somebody, I I know there is a uh, one, the Bates went to Crown when I was there, and you guys probably are familiar with the Bates family. If you know anything about the IFB world, they have a TV show. And the Bates were known to be qualified musicians and pretty good at the piano and stuff. And uh, that was skillful. Is it wrong to be skillful in your music? No. So then, why are we making a big deal? But anyway, let's just talk about this for a second. So there's an ancient uh, song that was uh, for Jewish uh, Babylonian weddings. So this is way back when. This is during Babylonian captivity. It's been found and it's been uh, and it's been transcribed to be now able to be played on modern instruments. This is a sheer Shirim. <laughs> before i jump into ashir Sharim, i want you guys to also be aware i'm going to be playing a lot of clips from different uh links on youtube and whatnot so this video will not be monetized. We will not be making a single dime off of this video because I don't want to be nailed for copyright claims. Um, also, we are going to be taking a risk on this video of getting a copyright claim, but I just want it to be very clear that all music being used here is not used for financial gain. It's all being used for merely uh, creative purposes. It's meant to uh, show examples of, and we'll link all of them in the description below. That way, everyone is aware uh, aware of that. Um, so, uh, guys, if you want to support the show, uh, I do recommend our Patreon if you want to support it us with all the sort of things that we put out. But anyway, uh, otherwise, today we are not going to monetize this. That's the point. But Ashir Sharim, back to the topic at hand. You'll notice that it was rhythmic. That piece is rhythmic. It's flashy in its rolls. It's in a very minor kind of a tone. It's got that Middle Eastern vibe, right? Uh, that sort of thing, if saying today in churches they would probably label as like being muslim or something because half our churches are as ignorant as it comes when it comes to the middle east because if it it sounds at all like that then it all must be muslim right it must be all be praising allah none of it must be christian at all or praising uh you know yahweh but ashir sharim very rhythmic very Jewish, and then there's this song that's sung, and it's an ancient song. It's old. This is old Jewish music here. Uh, song at the end of Shabbat. Shabbat is uh, Sabbath. So at the end of Sabbath, there's this Eliyahu Hanavi. Oh, oh. Now notice that there's upbeat versions, there's also uh, calmed down versions of the song, but there's there's tons of renditions. But some I'm not even playing here for fear of copyright, some of the really cool renditions. But guys, this song right here can be highly rhythmic and highly flashy, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's meant to be celebratory. It's the end of Shabbat. Uh, Also, then there is my personal favorite Jewish song of all time, which is, uh, Jerusalem shall have, which is Jerusalem of gold, and this song is incredible. <laughs> This song, if you actually listen to different people, again, it flows, it rolls, it's expressive. Because music, guys, is an art, and art forms are expression. If you are singing to the creator of all things, the very being by which all good flows from, there should be expression there. If you are talking and singing and worshiping about the God who gave his son for you as a ransom for our sins, that should bring, bring movement to you. That's a good thing. So expression, why is expression bad? Why is talent and skill bad? In fact, we know that David was skilled, skillful as a musician, right? Was that wrong? Um, again, we would rather have qualified people. Do you want, let me ask, do you want an unskilled preacher preaching? I've been to unskilled preachers. They're not fun. I've heard them. Not a good time. Uh, most of our Most of us want somebody who can really... Really uh, bring something to the table, uh, and what's funny though is that they're all against like too much exp- like the IFB, for example, is too is against too much expression in music, but meanwhile they're uh, they want like a lot of showmanship from their pastors. It makes zero sense. Um, so. Now let's talk about the controversy today. So I just wanted to first address the Jewish music thing. The Jewish music alone uh, kind of puts a nail in the coffin for a lot of the accusations because it uses drums, it uses all these things, and this has been going on historically for thousands of years. But the controversy today that I'm discussing is um, the question that all the churches ask. The whole point of this episode is what I'm talking about here. The question is always, is it in with the new and out with the old or is it out with the old and in with the new? These are the two questions that seems that everyone asks. But this is far too narrow of a question, okay? It should never be about in with the new, out with the old, out with the old and in with the new. That is never. That should not be the focus. Because um, what ends up happening is that people, what's funny, the people who are, like, out with the new and always stick with the old, you know, they'll call, like, these mo- the modern music worldly music, right? Oh, it's worldly music. But the point is, it, when, when it comes to the worldliness, again, we've discussed this on other channels, it's referring to the sinful nature of the world on other episodes. Sorry, not channels. Um, I guess we have discussed it on other channels, too, now that I'm thinking about it. But anyway, when it deals with worldliness... The Bible is talking about the sinful nature of the world, which is God specifically defined sin, right? God specifically defined sin. It's no secret on what sin is. So when it says not to, when someone uses worldly music, I'm like, all right, what did God specify not to be in music? Because there's nothing about the sinful nature of the world with music outside of the fact that someone can sing about immoral things in music. So this whole idea of worldly music is a complete misapplication because technically every music style is of the world. We're going so what we're gonna do is when people use this as like in with the new, out with the old, well, we actually gotta get rid of the new because it's worldly. I'm going to get technical in this episode. I'm going to get technical here now. Why? Why do you say that? Well, because much of what this these groups object to in music is they really prey off of people's ignorance of music. So no worries. I'm going to work, walk you all through it from the ground up. I don't want you guys to be confused at all. So we are going to go through this, and I'm going to walk you through it and try to break this down in a way that makes sense to you. And again, if you listen on audio, I recommend recommend actually at this point switching to YouTube on the video because there's going to be a lot of visual aids throughout that might help you. Otherwise. Just do your best to listen along. So uh, we're going to go through the what we call the classical music timeline. Now, when I talk about classical music, I'm talking about what is traditionally called classical music, which is European music during a particular set of times. Uh, so this is where a lot of like the piano, violin, cellos, uh, hymns, uh, Gregorian chants, this is where these things stem from. Uh, The classical music timeline itself is not all-inclusive to all music because there is different music uh, styles in Africa. There's music styles that were in Australia. There's different music styles that were in China, Japan, and South America, and in uh, Native America. There's different music all around the world. So that's another issue I have here is that when it comes to the music controversy, this is purely um, a European issue. You don't hear the, this controversy breaking out anywhere else. It's actually this weird I, way of thinking of, like, West is best. Like, the West is always best. So, therefore, all our music is more holy and more superior than everyone else's. So, uh, you know, somebody do, doing, like, a, a little chant around a, a fire dancing uh, about Jesus would be sinful because it's close to witchcraft. But us singing songs from the Renaissance period, which is highly sexualized, is completely okay. Okay, so this this is where the hypocrisy really comes down to. And I'm telling you guys, this is, like I said, this is the topic that made it possible for me to kind of start breaking out of the cult I was being raised in. So, uh, and I, in fact, actually, funny story. I didn't, wasn't planning on going down this route, but I'll go down this route. Uh, it was really funny. So my uh, youth pastor's wife, because uh, if you know anything about my youth pastor's wife, um, I'm not going to say her name on here, but she was difficult to say the least, still is. And that situation got way crazier, but I'm not going to shed some gossip on here. Point is, um, she was never consistent with her beliefs. But there's one time I left my iPad, my iPod back in the day, my iPod on the church van. So instead of just returning it to me, because everyone knew what my iPod was, uh, she kept it and went through it and then brought it to me on, in the next service. And when she handed it to me, she said, I quote, there's a lot of disappointing music on that thing. Like, okay, that's a little weird that you went through my stuff. I'm not your child. You know, I was 16, I think. Like, I'm not your kid. My parents don't care about what's on my iPod. So whoa, what gives you the right to go through that? But whatever. So musical time periods. And I want you guys to notice, I'm going to play clips of different music uh, throughout this. And you're going to notice the evolution of the music and that it changes and shifts in style and that they have different rhythmic patterns, that they have different uh, tones to them. And that's a good thing. I want you to notice that. So first off, we have in the classical music timeline, and again, this is one particular stretch of time during European exclusively, European classical music timeline. Okay, this is what's usually taught in most music schools. It's just this. Okay, They're just the styles of music. You can go to other places usually for some other stuff, but you might find some Russian music here and there. But generally speaking, it is exclusively European. Uh, there might be an exception here and there, but anyway. So the medieval music. This is between 1150 and 1400. Medieval, the medieval me- period of music. This is probably best known. This period of time is probably best known for what's called Gregorian chants. This, is, the traditional Gregorian chant, is uh, was sung in unison, and it was. So when I say unison, it means there are no harmonies. Okay. Um, also, without what we call meter, which is the beat. You know, one, two, three, four. They didn't use a meter. Um, and so it's without meter, and meaning, so there is no meter and there is no harmonies. So when I say harmony, I mean uh, that which complements the melody. All right, guys, what, do I, what am I talking about here? So let's talk about, uh, I'm gonna break this down and I'm gonna use the very popular hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, because it's a great example of this. So meter means beat pattern. So we're going, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, okay? That's da done, dun. done. Dun. You feel the meter one, two, three, four, and it, it, you know, it's very. And so that's why marches. When you have a march, it's very. You feel the downbeats. Each downbeat, you feel that. That's why it's a march. It emphasizes each individual downbeat. So that one, two, three, like onward, Christian soldiers. Okay, that's the idea. So. Uh, Now what I mean, unison uh, versus harmony. Let me explain this. So unison has literally everyone singing on the same note. Harmony is when people break off from that main line of notes and sing other notes to complement the melody. So what this means, you might refer to the melody as the tune, okay? Like if we're dealing with it as well, you know, the tune or the melody, is something, is the uh... So that is melody. But actually, to use that same song, It Is Well With My Soul, there is a great harmony line that echoes, okay? And it complements the melody. So in the chorus you hear, it is well and that is your melody and then you hear maybe uh the tenors do a harmony of the work they go like it is well so that there is a harmony that complements the melody and sometimes it's in an echo format like an it is well or and most of the time it is sung Together, which is when you hear the voices sound like they're breaking off and it has this nice shimmer sound, and it's very, very nice, very nice. Uh, music without harmony is oftentimes very boring to a lot of people nowadays, or just considered very pretty, or it's just meant to be a powerhouse with a single solo, uh, like in. Um, Like Phantom of the Opera, right, where you're dealing with somebody singing, like, music of the night. He's only singing the melody, but, man, he's going to hammer that home. So uh, harmony is oftentimes used to bring what we call musical texture to the notes. And that can really help uh, bring something alive and change the mood of the song even. So, anyway, um, so harmony is that which complements the tune or gives it color. and, And that's why we use the term, well, we bring it all in harmony. Okay, that's why we use that, because it brings it all together. Uh, So I want you guys to notice this song I'm going to play you. It's called Omnia Soul. It is a song we sang back in my choir days. And I want you to notice how the men start singing all in one voice. Okay, they all sound, you know, they're going to do this whole like, somewhere far from nowhere. They're going to do that, and then you're going to hear them break off. You're going to hear some guys go low. You're going to hear some guys go high, and that's going to be harmony. And this is all really important for the controversy. Okay, we're gonna, we're, I'm breaking this down for you guys, so that way we're, you're tracking with me later. So then when the women come in, you'll notice how they're instantly in harmony, and you'll even hear the altos moving around underneath the, the sopranos. So the sopranos are singing the melody or the tune, and then the altos are singing harmony and complementing underneath it. This is Omnia Soul. Take a listen. So you'll notice, again, the tune and the melody stays alive throughout, but the harmonies surrounding it bring it to life, okay? So anyway, back to medieval music. So harmonies were not as common back then. In fact, they weren't really used. Gregorian chants were what were sung, and they were sung in unison. Also, they were sung by men. Women weren't allowed in church choirs back then. Uh, isn't that funny? So if you really wanted to take things back to the old paths, it would be no meter, no harmonies, and uh, only men. And funny because all our hymns use meter, they use harmonies, and they use uh, women in their singing. So, sorry guys, you already lost there as far as the early church history. These are the songs that the early church would have sang. So the early church would have sang these songs, uh, other or they would have sang like early Jew, like first century Jewish music. So first century Jewish music, or this evolving into eventually the European Gregorian chant style of music, or the medieval style in general. So I want you guys to listen to this song uh, by Stephen Leach.
1: Gloria,
0: you see what I mean uh, as far as how that sounds? You probably have heard it before. You're like, oh, that sounds like a Catholic monastery, or that sounds like an Eastern Orthodox church. And it's yeah, Eastern Orthodox Church still sings a lot of this stuff today. Uh, then also the song Ave Maria that's so popular. Actually, uh, there's a lot of versions of Ave Maria, but Ave Maria started around this time period, was in, during the medieval time. And then we have between 1400 and 1600, what we call the Renaissance period. The Renaissance, as many of you guys know, exploded. Uh, This is like the Enlightenment period, man. Things exploded. But in the Renaissance period, the music took a shift and actually was very big on meter, and it took a big focus on shifting of chords. Similar to chord progression today in modern music. What do I mean by that? We're going to play a renaissance harpsichord. Hope you all could hear that. Chord progression. That's all it is. And uh, I use the harpsichord on the electric piano because why wouldn't I? It's the renaissance they played. Actually, the harpsichord was more popular back in the day than today. Uh, And now it's mostly piano. If you guys don't know what a harpsichord is, you should look it up, it's kind of fun. It's basically a piano that instead of striking, it plucks. Anyhow. Uh, So a lot of hymns follow themes from this musical era. Um, So a lot of our hymns today follow themes from it. For example, Green Sleeves was made around this, this time period. And what famous hymn do we sing around Christmas of the tune of Green Sleeves? What child is this, right? So we have the what child is this who lay to rest. That's Renaissance period. OK, so that's during that time. Or also Good King slash, or however the heck you say that. I'm Good King Wenceslas, or however. So, um, But anyway, uh, so before we uh, try to say uh, like, that I'm lying here, but a lot of your music does come from this, I want you guys to hear the green sleeves itself played on the piano. So isn't it crazy, guys, that we're singing songs right here between uh, 1400 and 1600, but we have ignored the medieval period? Why, not, why the medieval period? Why can't we sing music before that, like in that Jewish tone? And uh, why, is that, why is this controversial when all these were used to worship God? Also, what's funny about the Renaissance period is that it was highly sexual. The Renaissance period is known for that. Look up paintings during the... Don't look up paintings from the Renaissance period. There are, there are more naked butts in those paintings than anywhere else. It is a very sexual period. And that was the whole point of a lot of their music was to kind of emphasize the sexuality. And oddly enough, a lot of our music that we sing in churches is actually inspired in the hymns from that time period. Because people write music that they know. And the music style, and I'm gonna say this a lot throughout here, the music style does not dictate whether or not it's moral. The content within the song does. So, for example, if I'm singing a song, uh, there's there's an Italian musical uh, that's about um, this lord of the land trying to seduce this woman. And he's, uh, in the English version is like, come to my castle, love, dear, you'll have not to fear. But he's known to be a playboy. So the woman's all like, no, I, I, I'm i scared that you're going to play me like all the other girls I've heard you've played, but maybe because you're cute. And it's this really kind of funny, like, quirky thing. But it's like, yeah, if I was singing a song that was all, like, praising the sexuality and saying it's good to be promiscuous, then that would be different. But the style does not dictate that But the point is that during this time period, that was the big focus on their music. So it's funny when people say, well, you can't use modern CCM because it's like connected to the rock and roll music. I'm over here just going, your hymns are connected to those time periods. Because people write what they know. That's just all there is to it. So anyway, also... I don't feel like you can be consistent with that because just because something was inspired from a certain period or a certain sound, then it's like, okay, where do you draw the line then? What about your homes that were inspired by the castles or this or that or from this time period where the lords of the land would take advantage of the women? And like, where do you draw the line? Or like, oh, well, there's wicked people who designed cars, so do you no longer drive all cars? I mean, where do you draw the line on this stuff? I just... I you can't arbitrarily create it in music and then not apply it everywhere else. You just can't do that. Uh, Anyway, then we have probably the most popular of all the classical music periods is the Baroque period. Not broke, the Baroque. (laughs) The Baroque. It's so broke, it's Baroque. (laughs) Okay, I'm done with the dad jokes, I apologize. Anyway, so around here, Around this time period between 1600 and 1750 is where we probably see uh, a lot of the hymns that you sing today really explode. Uh, Oddly enough, in my violin background, uh, Baroque music is very popular, okay? This is where you have uh, some of the most famous composers of all time. You have Bach, you have Heinrich Schütz, you have Antonio Vivaldi, you have Johann Peckabell for crying out loud. And you have these really famous composers during this time. And I'll be honest, most of my violin buddies, they're like huge Baroque fans. I'm not. I found it too stuffy and bouncy and cut up. But the point is, a lot of conservative Christians who are against modern uh, contemporary Christian music love Baroque music, because a lot of conservative Christians play classical instruments. And where do you learn classical instruments? By usually doing classical music schools. And they usually have you playing things from the Renaissance and the Baroque period and things like that. And so it's funny because I usually love this stuff, but you know what's funny about uh, Baroque music is that it's highly rhythmic, excruciatingly rhythmic, unforgivingly rhythmic. I am a little irritated about it still from back in the day when I used to play this a lot because it, is, it has to be so precise. Um, it's very rhythmic. It is also extremely syncopated, which is a word that gets thrown around a lot. Uh, in fact, when we did our Bill Reeves response, he used the syncopation as a bad thing. It's like, oh, yeah, that modern music with its syncopation. Um, guys, syncopation is just a rhythmic change. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Also, Baroque music tends to be very staccato, and, which is very like precise and kind of bouncy. So anyway, Baroque music is extremely expressive, Uh, It's actually very showy as well, excruciatingly showy. If I played you uh, my concerto in A minor by Vivaldi on the violin, you would know what I mean, Okay, It is very showy. Uh, Many moving melodies as well. Uh, Actually, that's the very same concerto in A minor by Vivaldi. There's a violin duet version and man, talk about like moving melodies back and forth between the two. In fact, many in the church found music there, but what's funny is that many of the people back then found their music offensive. They found Baroque music offensive. So the church actually kicked out people like Bach and gave them a huge hard time because of their music, because they started introducing harmonies, they started introducing more rhythmic music, and a lot of layers to the music, counter melodies, melodies, harmonies, counter harmonies, and all these different things, so they got kicked out called it worldly and said it was uh, sinful and all these things which is funny because those very things that they were calling worldly and sinful back then during the 1600s and 1700s is exactly the music we sing today saying that it's holy and all this new stuff that's the worldly that's the evil that's the sinful that's the stuff that's against scripture we're literally repeating the same thing that they did back then uh, it's funny because there's a stupid book uh, called Music in the Melting Pot I had to read while I was at Crown College and it actually tries to deny that Mozart and Bach went through so much crap with the church. It's like, try- oh, they weren't, weren't kicked out of churches. They weren't, didn't go through this stuff. And you read any biography ever and you will know what they went through with the church. Okay, it's a historical fact. Deal with it. I'm sorry it's an inconvenient fact for all you conservative music holding people but we have to make decisions on facts not your feelings, not your preferences, not anything like that. We're going by musical history facts here, okay? And on the church split, that's all we care about. Anyway, uh, some of the most popular pieces uh, that you know today were around during this time. For example, we have Handel's Messiah, which if you're like, Handel's Messiah, why does that name sound familiar? Well, because this entire piece, which uh, Handel uh, is this whole the whole Messiah piece, is uh, very long, and it's awesome to go see. And uh, whenever you play the violin, I feel like I'm sawing my violin in half when I played it in the orchestra. But this is singing in every church everywhere. But if you're wondering why does Handel sound familiar, mainly probably because of this. Yeah, you recognize that? Yeah, that's the Hallelujah Chorus. That's part of the Handel's Messiah, okay? So Handel's Messiah is saying everywhere. This is during the Baroque period. Also, if you guys uh, know anything, if you watch any movie ever, uh, you'll hear this this cello piece used all the time, all the time during uh, different parts. In fact, uh, Daredevil, the show on Netflix, before they canceled it, bunch of jerks, why would you cancel such a great show? Anyway, Thanks, uh, Disney, for buying Marvel and ruining that for us. Anyway, when it comes to the Bach cello Suites, um, they, this actually was played for Will, when Wilson Fisk would be in his apartment. It was played all the time. It was almost like his little theme song at multiple parts. And I, for one, absolutely loved it. Here it is. <laughs> Sound familiar? Does all this make sense to you? All right, and now finally, let's listen to the one that's arguably one of the most well-known Baroque pieces of all time. And this is actually one of the ones that aren't so bouncy and as grandiose, but more elegant, which is nice because I prefer that. This is Pachelbel's Canon. Yeah, you've heard that song a few times in your life, haven't you? I've uh, played at every wedding ever, so <laughs> Pachelbel's canon. Yeah, that's that's in the broke period. I guess what else the broke period was known for? Sexual promiscuity, and getting like wasted. So uh, that's pretty much. If you can really sum up Europe's history, there's a lot of like violent church history, genocide, plague and then sexual promiscuity and drunkenness, okay, and then vying for power. That's half of Europe's history, okay? So, anyway, then we go into, actually, uh, one of my favorite classical music periods, which is a simply called the Classical Period. This is between 1750 and 1830. This has the people like Mozart, Beethoven, Brahms, and others. Uh, Mozart's Requiem, unfortunately, Mozart died before he could finish his entire Requiem, which is a tragedy because of All giant music compilations in the classical world. Um, There's Vivaldi's Four Seasons, there's Hendel's Messiah, and all these, and the cello suites and stuff. My favorite, though, is by far Mozart's Requiem. There are so many iconic songs in this, and it was hard for me to pick which song I wanted to show you guys, uh, like, because Lacrimosa is, of course, a classic. But I went with DS Ide. Now, a lot of these songs were Latin back then because that's what they used. But Dies Ire" is, um, is a song that is sung in so many movies. Once I show this to you, if you actually, like, after this, go look it up and you want to get your, like, judgment on, <laughs> and, like, your Hellfire and Brimstone on, look up this song and uh, give it a nice listen. This is Dies Ide. T.S. Ide is Latin for Day of Wrath. Talk about a song of war, huh? So it is the Day of Wrath was about God bringing judgment. And actually, one of the funniest times I've ever heard T.S. Ide in a movie is uh, in The Incredibles, (laughs) in The Incredibles, when Jack-Jack goes AWOL. It might be in the Jack-Jack attack, like the short, um, it's either in the Jack-Jack attack or in the movie itself, but I think it's Jack-Jack attack now that I'm thinking about it. But right when he turns into like demon baby and he turns on fire and he starts running around the house, um, D.S. Day starts playing in the background until uh, the babysitter hits him with a fire extinguisher. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it, it, with my classical background, I just so enjoy it whenever I, I can be like, oh, I know that song. I sang that or I did that one. Uh, anyway, Uh, A song we sing actually in our churches to this day, uh, a a lot of times like in children's church and whatnot, is uh, one by uh, Bach by Beethoven called Ode to Joy. And uh, this should be very familiar to you. So yeah, you, you probably recognize that, right? And then also another very, there's a lot of popular hymns, but I'm only choosing one. Uh, One of the most popular hymns probably during this time is All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. All hail the power of Jesus' name. like Right? Like, you all know it. So um, then we have the Romantic Period, and this is absolutely my favorite period of music. Uh, as far as classical music is concerned. Uh, I'm allowed to have a favorite compilation during the classical period, okay? And then to be able to have a favorite period that's actually separate from that, okay? It's allowed. It's allowed. Don't tell me what to do with my life, all right? All right, romantic periods between 1830 and 1920. So, yeah, all the way to the 1920s, okay? The romantic period... Is uh, this? There is it, separated by two periods. Okay, so the early period is separated by two periods. That is the early period and the late period. Right? Try to keep up. Right? Early and late period. Okay, that makes it easy. Um, so this is uh, this time period was very melodic in its tone. There's a lot of runs in the music, which is like when you hear that like as a run um, because it sounds like you're running. <laughs> um, often there's shifting in mood from bright and exciting to moody and dark, and I love that sort of thing. If anyone ever sees my playlist, you'll notice that it's very moody in its in it its uh, sound. It's very Bright and positive, or it's really sad and in the minor keys. And I really love melancholy music. I swear I'm not depressed. I don't have depression. I just like melancholy music. Okay. I feel the judgment coming from all you listeners, but whatever. Uh, but as far as uh, very popular pieces during the Romantic period, so probably one of the most popular uh, composers is, T- oh my goodness, I always screw this up, um, Tchaikovsky. Yeah, those Russian names, man. Uh, he did things like Swan Lake, and he also did The Nutcracker. And we are familiar with those two, right? So uh, also, Borowski's Adoration. I used this when I actually uh, tried out for the senior orchestra. And uh, this is exactly the piece I played. So you'll notice it's melodic. It's it's bright and it's melodic. Actually, if you listen to the entire thing of Adoration, it's bright and it's melodic. Then it hits this really cool, like, moody, shredding moment. And then it builds up and builds up dramatically and then goes into this super bright and powerful sounding violin piece. And it's just awesome. It's, It's life. It's goodness. It's gold. And it is, yes, it is the most stereotypical sounding romantic period piece ever, but I don't care, okay? (laughs) So between the 1700s and 1800s was an explosion of hymn-styled music taking influences from the musical culture around them. I cannot emphasize this enough. All the hymns that you enjoy were written during these time periods taking from the musical culture around them, from the secular realm to the religious realm. That is why the music evolved. I'm sure you've noticed during all the clips I've shown you that how vastly different each one was and how they were sang during different periods of time. So then we have what we have today, which this is where all the evil music apparently comes from. So keep in mind, you, we have been a completely OK. Uh, we don't do the medieval period, right, because that sounds too Catholic. Uh, but we're OK with anything from the Renaissance period. We're okay with anything from the Baroque period. We're good with the classical Romantic period. But gosh dang it, we got to draw the line at the post-Great War or the modern era, which is between 1920 to now. This is 1920 to present. So what does this include? It includes the melting pot of music now. We have jazz, blues, gospel, southern gospel, country, pop, rock, alternative, punk, metal, rap. We could go on. We also have, a, what is it, like neo-metal. Then there's a neo-classical, uh, which is where you get people like Josh Groban, who's considered like neo-classical. At least he was for a while there, and I think now he's considered like pop-ish. I don't know. Whatever. So um, the issue with only seeing things through a hymns-only standpoint or old-school music standpoint is, one, you are limiting what is sung in churches from the Baroque period to the early Romantic period. And in fact, medieval, medieval music styles, you would just arbitrarily reject because they sound too Catholic or they sound too chanty. So you are limiting, not only are you saying, okay, the world's music all around the entire globe is all wrong, except for this European music. European music is holy. But not all of it, only during these time periods, we finally discovered what real actual holy music is. You see how silly that is? How arbitrary that gets? Two, it also means that all music before this was not properly pleasing to God. So like the KJV in the 1600s, notice in a pattern here, by the way, the 1600s has got the good music and the 1600s has the good Bible. It's almost like we've overly romanticized a period of time and a period of history. (laughs) But anyway, um, it is saying that Like the KJV, like in the 1600s, we have arbitrarily picked a certain time period in history to say that this music pleases God better and it does not please the flesh. Nothing before or after. And then thirdly, this is purely a European problem and European-focused issue, which is a very, I hate to say white-centric view because I'm not woke, but it just is what it is. It's a very European-centric focus. Um, so there's all sorts of African music out there. There's Asian music, there's Southern American music, there's Middle East music, there's Indian music, both India and American mu- uh, Indians. Bottom line is when Europeans came to other lands and sang their songs. So, okay, to go back to the colonial times when Europe started expanding around the world because they now have a navy and oh, everyone's got ships and there's trade going on. So you go through the colonial period well, then we actually established colonies and we established countries and then we're living. Well, well, then we started sending missionaries. And when our European Western missionaries would go to another country and they would try to introduce their hymns, there's actually a great book called Bruchko that talks about this that when they brought their English hymns, their European hymns, to these different indigenous peoples, the indigenous peoples did not like the music. They said, um, in Brusco's case with South American Indians, that it sounded like wailing at a funeral. <laughs> so they heard our music was like, that sounds awful. It sounds like a wailing at a funeral. That's just, that's hilarious to me. That's so funny. Uh, meanwhile, Bruchko, uh mentioned that when they sang their songs about Jesus, it made him uncomfortable. He almost asked them to stop because he thought it sounded like witchcraft. But then he realized that this was their music. And so since it's their music and they're using their music to uplift God, then he just uplifts with his music to God and they don't like his music and they're not uplifted by his music at all because people, they write what they know. That's all there is to it. We, and once in a while you get an evolution, once in a while you get a musical genius or a breakthrough, but not necessarily all the time. So the way a lot of these other countries probably responded was probably the exact same way you would respond if you heard foreign music. Like you went to another country, um, and you heard somebody singing Jesus songs in a really weird music style. You would probably you might appreciate it, or you might go, I don't really like that. That's okay. Um, that's because we we we're familiar with certain things, and it takes a while for us to warm up because familiarity brings a lot of, comes a long way, right? Like, very few people enjoyed coffee when they first tried it, but over time they ended up enjoying it. Same with beer, you know, nobody liked beer almost at first, but over time it's an acquired taste. That's where we get that, an acquired taste. Well, what is an acquired taste? Usually it means building familiarity. familiarity. Uh, Hudson Taylor knew this, that's why he was so successful as a Chinese missionary. So, Every culture that has ever been reached for Jesus Christ has written songs of Christ in their own musical context, and there's nothing wrong with that, which means there should be nothing wrong with Christians today writing music in their own, writing songs about Jesus in their own musical context. Notice this also, that the Bible says, and I'm going to say this very clearly, the Bible says literally nothing about music styles, just that we should worship God with music, nothing about style. Ever. So if God is not the author of confusion, which is what, the, what these other groups try to use so often, if he's not the author of confusion, then why would he make it so complex to figure out which style of music would please him? Makes no sense, right? Absolutely not. It's absurd. So if we say it's because the music is quote-unquote worldly, then my next question is, do you, what do you mean by worldly? Do you mean culturally relevant or in vogue? Because every single music style that we have discussed today, that all your hymns have come from, was part of, quote-unquote, the world or in vogue or relevant at some point in time and was written and evolved over a large period of time. Bach and others were told that their music was worldly. And again, we sing those hymns today. Do you not see the irony here? Also, notice, if you know anything about Baroque or romantic style of music, again, it was written during a highly sexualized time as well. And many of these pieces were written in a sexual nature, on purpose. So these still influence the hymns today in, in, in musical style because there is, there's a difference between music style and music theme. So style is not the same as theme. Style is the tone of the notes, the the style of the rhythm, the rhythmic patterns, the harmony styles, things like that. It's not dealing with the themes. God is the theme in Christian music. So there's nothing about style. Only we should keep our themes accurate. So every musical period has sexual themes, even today, even back then. As much as you might want to romanticize those old time periods, trust me, They were just as bad as today, okay, in many ways. But it's the content, such as the lyrics, the intent, or the themes, not necessarily the style that dictates whether something is moral or amoral in music. Just like anything else, right, the the words and the intent and the theme of a book is what makes it actually good or bad, not necessarily the genre of the book right? Fiction, nonfiction, uh, sci-fi, non-sci-fi, MIDI, whatever. You get it. So now I'm just going to go through a list of arguments that I've heard used against contemporary Christian music, and I've heard a lot of bad arguments in my lifetime. There's no way I can cover all of them, but I appreciate all you people who did submit them when I asked them in the RFP fam group. So um, anyway, arguments debunked and addressed. Uh, The argument, it has a beat and it makes you want to move. So therefore, it's bad, right, because it feeds the flesh, because it makes you want to move. Well, first off, that's misunderstanding what the Bible means by the flesh. The flesh is, again, referring to your sinful nature, your flesh's desires toward things that are wrong. It is not necessarily referring to dancing, because, again, wanting to move and dance is literally biblical, like we're commanded to do it. No one wants to see me dance, so I disobey that all the time because I'm terrible at it. So instead, I sway back and forth. That's what I do, okay? I usually hold my daughter in church service, and we sing, and I dance back and forth, I bounce around, okay? So all music has a beat, first off. So when you're like, it has a beat, and it makes you wanna move, well, guess what? All music has beat, except for Gregorian chants, as we already discussed. The only music that doesn't is Gregorian chants. All other ones have beat, so stop saying that. It's a stupid statement, it's ignorant. I want you guys to notice I'm pulling, by the way, a lot of the clips I'm going to pull from at this point is going to be from Crown College or Temple Baptist Church. It is not because I'm trying to pick on them because I was a student. It's literally when I looked up these hymns, these, all the church services from Temple kept popping up, and they actually do very well at singing hymns, so it's a great example of what I wanted to talk about. So no, I'm not picking on them. It's ironic, though. Uh, it was unintentionally hilarious to me, at least as a former student. But anyway, here we have, Are You Washed in the Blood?
1: You Jesus for the of, you the
0: the Notice the hand movement in that clip. Notice his hand moving. That hand motion he's doing, this is standard in congregational hymn singing. You know why? Because that is literally the beat. One, two, three, four. That's the beat. It is what is used in choir directing and congregational singing to keep people in time with each other. Like in modern music, a lot of times people use the rhythm of a guitar, like a consistent rhythm on a guitar, or they use a drum set. In this scenario, they use uh, the hand-waving in a more formal fashion, which is a little bit more classical and old school in its in its setup. Also, notice he is bouncing when he's doing it. He's bouncing with a beat and wanting to move with it. Why? Because it's bouncy and it's a moving song. It makes you want to move. There's nothing wrong with that. But I find it funny that these songs are OK in such churches. But the modern stuff that makes you want to move is not. And you'll notice that none of these can be applied consistently between both music styles. They're just merely complete ad hocs and uh, gas lights to try to get you shut up and shut down. And they just want to keep their preferential music and not share it. So um, also notice this song, He Hideth My Soul. Now, I want you to notice a few things in that clip. One, I want you to notice that the congregation sways back and forth as they sing it, because it's nice and melodic. And you'll notice it's small but it's su- and subtle, but this is a natural body reaction to the beat. Notice that they sway with the beat of the music. This blew my mind when I was, uh, when I was uh, in my early teen years, because I heard all the time that you can't move with the beat. And I'm like sitting in the back of the church. I'm seeing everyone sway with the music. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's moving with the beat. Something's fishy. Um, So also, notice if having a beat was worldly, then all songs are guilty of it. So you're wrong, you're just wrong and it's a bad argument and you should feel bad about that. Uh, Then also, if moving your body or lifting your hands in praise is worldly, then also in that same clip, you'll notice the deaf section, those who cannot hear and they praise God with their hands, and so if the the deaf section, they're lifting their hands in praise would be considered worldly. They would be sinning for signing because they're being expressive. You can't say that this expression is okay because that's their language, but this expression is not okay because it's not your language. Both are expressions, physically, of worship. You're creating a category here that does not exist. They're both physical expressions of worship. Neither one is wrong, and the Bible never says it's wrong, ever. Also, again, back to Bill Rees. They got that syncopation. People who have no idea what syncopation is. I've heard syncopation used all the time in IFB and other crazy uh, circles as being evil and wrong because it's syncopated mimicking the worldly styles uh, of the world or whatever. So syncopation. What is syncopation? Well, syncopation... Uh, is defined as a musical term, meaning a variety of rhythms played together to make a piece of music, making part or all of a tune or piece of music offbeat. In other words, it changes the beat pattern. Okay, it, it, So um, the one that the IFB likes to use, they like to show the reverse, like, well, godly music emphasizes the first and third beat. One, two, three, four. And then syncopated music emphasizes the offbeat. One, two, three, four. See, it's evil cause Satan always reverses the things of God and turns it upside down and makes it backwards. There first off, there's nothing ever biblical that suddenly Satan comes in and perverts music, and then he always, no matter what God creates, he somehow turns it around upside down. That that's that's just so ridiculous. But anyway, nowhere in scripture is that even brought up. That's straight up a made-up argument pulled out of someone's butt. Okay? Like the deepest levels of the colon created that argument. But Anyway, I want you guys to notice some songs that are syncopated that are sing in IFB churches. First, we have Mike Fox, who is the man. We used to crack uh, Chuck Norris jokes, but instead they were Mike Fox jokes, and how Mike Fox would be Chuck Norris because he was such a man. Um, so we have him singing The Midnight Cry, and I want you to notice this particular part of the clip. First things first, if you know anything about the Midnight Cry, it is a fairly modern song, but one that was more easily, quote unquote, sanctified, or made uh, made more conservative sounding. Can we say that? So they, as they were able to make it more of a hymn style. Also, notice the echo on the offbeat. Is that considered evil syncopation, or are we allowed to emphasize the offbeat when it's convenient? Uh, Also, notice the beat at the very end of the song, if you want to get there, when the cymbals would clash or whatever, there's like this strong downbeat, like, you know, well, it comes again, comes again. That sort of thing is a syncopation rhythmic change. It's there for emphasis, but that syncopation is suddenly okay in IFB circles. And they're like, oh, that sounded so powerful. I'm like, that's syncopation. That's the point of syncopation, is to make it have some oomph to it, to change it, to make it have a feel. Um, Anyway, because if everything was one, two, three, four, it'd be boring, okay? It'd be super boring, and we would not be singing a new song, and there'd be no creativity. It would just be basic 4-4 time all day long. Um, Anyway. Then one of the most syncopated hymns of all time that no one seems to care that is highly syncopated is Love Lifted Me. A lot of people, when they come to the chorus, they'll step on their little tippy toes even. They'll go, love lifted me, love lifted me, and they just bounce around, okay? Uh, So notice the sway of the song in this clip. So if you listen to the song, you'll notice it has a sway to it. It kind of makes you want to swing yourself a little bit. This is, and then the lifting of the toes. Again, you'll see people doing it in the clip. There uh, is a classic move to do in IFB churches, and half the staunchy music people hated when people did that because they th- found the stepping on your tippy toes to be irreverent because apparently having joy and expressing that in fellowship with your fellow believers in uh, universal corporate worship is a bad thing. I swear, these people have a way of perverting and making everything that is joyful bad. Everything that's good in the body of Christ bad. I swear, they, do, they just have a way of doing that. If it's, if it's expressive and as you express yourself as an individual, corporately, whatever, they find a way to make it bad. I swear. Anyway, and notice uh, that every time that the people step on their tippy toes on lifted, there's a reason why. Love lifted me. The way it's saying is syncopated there. That's why it makes people want to move. It's because it's meant to make you want to move as part of syncopation. Um, Actually, a lot of that carnival sound that it has, I hate, by the way, I cannot stand that song. Love Lifted Me is one of the most annoying sounding hymns, period. Someone tried to change my mind. You won't be able to. I can't stand that song. Um, I'm glad some people find a blessing out of it. I just have never been a fan of it. But it's because it's got that carnival swing, and I just hate that style. I just do not like that style. But remember, that style, okay, that's a preference, that is not dealing with theme. The theme is good, and the th- there's nothing wrong with it. Okay? Anyway. Ugh. Then, probably one of the most popular IFB songs is the song I Have Been Blessed. I Have Been Blessed is a song that deals with how much you're blessed, and then also has a great amount of nationalism in it, it talking about um, we live in a country, the greatest on earth. My favorite part about I Have Been Blessed is how you'll they'll sing the song about how great God is, and... Most people just listen, but as soon as they get to we live in a country the greatest on earth, that's when everyone jumps up and shouts, amen, hallelujah, glory to God. So it's funny, you can sing about God's glorious salvation and no one says a thing, but you talk about how great our country is and everyone loses their minds. (sighs) Nationalism in the church. It just drives me nuts. But anyway, I have been blessed. Let's listen to a clip. I have been blessed. Now notice, if you listen to the whole song and look at the sheet music, it is highly syncopated. One of the funniest things is uh, an old uh, person that used to go to Fairhaven with me, and he's still in those circles because um, he hasn't escaped yet and he needs to escape. I'm sure he's brainwashed, though, to this day. But one of the things he, uh, this was his favorite song. He played it all the time on piano. I'd, hear, I'd walk by the music rooms, hear him playing it on piano. He said it was his favorite song of all time. But what was funny is that he uh, one day comes up to me and he's like, Will, did you know how syncopated the song was? I was looking at it, I started to count it. I don't know if I can play this anymore. I don't know if I can do it. I, I think it displeases God. I can't believe how syncopated this is. And I just remember looking at him like, I'm going to quote the Christmas story here. Like he had lobsters coming out of his ears. I just couldn't believe. Him. I'm like, but and I told him I was like, is a song a blessing to you? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, then why are you letting syncopation get in the way of it being a blessing to you or others? I just didn't understand it, right? So anyway, um, why that's an issue. So I want to make sure we're clear. I took a screenshot of the mu- a part of the sheet music of "I Have Been Blessed." The red lines indicate what we call the pulse. This is the beat, if you will. The one, two, three, four. One, two, three. And you'll notice that none of the major, all those little black dots, those are notes. And you'll notice that none of the major downbeats, uh, none of the major notes are played on the pulse really. It does kind of its own thing and the pulse is a guide but it's not really on it. That's syncopated, okay? Um, You'll also notice that there's a little line between two dots between what we call the measures. Now real quick, this is a picture of a measure you'll notice the two bars on each side and all the notes in the measure fit in between that. So back to the sheet music here. You'll notice that there's a little tie, this this little uh, note that goes between one black dot to another black dot across the measure. So you'll see a line in the middle between the two notes. That tie there is tying two measures together, which means it's not one, two, three, four, okay? It's not st- what we call straight time. This is syncopated. It syncopates it into the next measure. And the entire song's written this way, okay? And I've heard it at tons of places. Uh, it is hilarious to me. And that actually, the way this is written, is written in the exact same style of something like Revelation song. That's a CCM song that would be condemned even though it's a straight up quoting the book, of, um, it is bo- the book of Revelation, hence the name, Revelation Song. Um, then we have the other art- bad argument. It uses worldly notes and patterns. It uses worldly notes. It uses worldly music. It uses worldly <laughs> instruments. It uses worldly music. Uh, so I'm going to just show you and demonstrate to you how dumb of an accusation this is as well. I literally to this day have no idea what this accusation is. I have no idea what this argument means because it actually is nonsense, okay? Remember what I talked about earlier when I played some harpsichord for you uh, and how that those chord patterns work and that's where a lot of the stuff comes from? Um, this makes no sense. For example, uh, there's Amazing Grace, right? Starts on the a G chord and G the G chord is made of three notes, G, B, and D. And it sounds like this, okay? That's a G chord. And then there's the C chord, which is C, E, and G. Okay, so just track with me. Amazing Grace is with the G chord. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Also, Johnny Cash, sings his, uh, uh, or, or uh, what, what do you call it, uh, the P- band Perry or whatever, the, uh, um, well, I will back down. That's a G chord, G, B, D, okay? It's the same exact thing. Look up the four-chord song. You'll be surprised how many songs you can sing with the same four chords. Or what about Green Day, a very anti-Christian, anti-America band. They have their song, um... Well. Another turning point, of fork stuck in the road. You get the idea. The point is, there is no such thing as worldly notes. They're all the same notes. That was also started off with the chord of G. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. So when someone says worldly notes and worldly patterns, Dude, the chord pattern in Amazing Grace is used in a lot of other songs. You're just wrong. (laughs) You're just wrong, and it's a bad argument, and you should feel bad. I've literally had known people who have, like, master's degrees in music who have said that. I'm like, that doesn't hold. A B is a B is a B. An E or E flat or F sharp, they're all the same thing. Anyway, I digress. So this can be played in anything. So um, anyway. Thus far, we now know that all music shares similar beat patterns and notes across the board, okay, period uh also my favorite is sanctified music so they talk about how evil this music is but then they'll just like, get rid of the drums get rid of the electric guitar and we'll just play it with piano and hopefully nobody will notice my favorite is that bill reeves does this all the time and yes i make fun of bill reeves a lot in here but mainly because you can't make up half the crap that that guy does uh and how uh, it's either he he's completely not self-aware uh really dumb or he's lying through his teeth. I don't know which one it is. It doesn't matter to me at this point, but it is really funny because he talks about how evil the Southern gospel industry is while he has his children recording them for his church. Check this out.
1: The Bible we have, the standards we have, the music we listen to, we're outnumbered. Independent fundamental Baptist churches now have radio station playing southern gospel music. Yeah, we're outnumbered.
0: So again, I always wonder if this stuff's so evil, then why find the music to sanctify it? If uh, And also, who finds the music? If it's so bad and evil, who's finding this music for you to sanctify? Who's listening to it so you know it's there? It, it, someone's sinning. <laughs> anyway, um, I've also heard this one. If it hits your heels before it hits your heart, it's in the wrong place. Uh, this is one of the funniest yet, frankly, dumbest lines I can actually think of. As we discussed, all music has a beat. Just because one song is faster than another does not make it evil. Some hymns really are faster. Some are less so. Some are more rhythmic. Some are more melodic. That's okay. Ancient Jewish songs often move quickly and bounced around. This has no biblical backing, and therefore it is subjective and preferential. What hits my heels may, may be different than what hits your heels, Okay. Then we have, well, the lifestyle of singers the singers is worldly. Well, great. Now apply that logic to everything else in your life. Okay, so the, some of the singers might be worldly. Okay, but even the secular musician is, a, you know, if the secular music is a drug addict, do you still buy from major corporations who do immoral things? What if those, what if those corporations have employees or even a CEO that does the exact same thing and does drugs and whatnot? Sexual immorality or whatever. Do you have to approve of their lifestyle in order to enjoy their product? I don't believe so. Uh, Also, define worldly. It's the sinful nature of the world. So thus, what they're doing must be an express sin by God, not some preferential thing of man. Uh, Many people also saying this sort of thing will still love war movies. They love John Wayne and the like. But my first question is, do they check the actors and directors of their favorite media? Um, Do they check their lives? And are they perfectly reflecting of God? Probably not. Is this not hypocrisy? Is that not a complete contradiction? It's true for music, but not for movies. It's, not, it's true for music, but not for cars or any other merchandise. What about sports and athletes? Do you have to approve of the athlete before you go buy the ticket to go to the game? Do you have to approve of everything in their life? No. There's a difference between the product and the person. There's a difference between their art or their expression and the person themselves. You don't have to approve of the person to enjoy their music. Period. Okay. Modern songs don't say the name of God or the name of Jesus or the blood of God, blah, blah, blah. They don't say any of these things, um, except for the fact that this is emphatically false. Literally, there's songs, uh, like literally a popular song is Nailed to the Cross. Uh, there's also songs called Promises. That's a pretty popular song right now. Uh, God of Abraham, You're the God of Covenant as the very first words of the song. That is, or or I Put My Faith in Jesus, My Anchor to the Ground, that's in the song. Uh, There's a lot of songs about the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, In fact, songs like Red Letters (laughs) or Love Ran Red, these are literally CCM songs directly talking about Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Also, fun fact for you, the song Amazing Grace never says the name of God once. It only talks about the attributes of God, and it, the writer of Amazing Grace, I think, assumes the fact that we have enough intelligence to know what he's talking about. So I think we rob people of using their intelligence uh, in a worship service when we say it has to say the name of God. It doesn't, okay? That's stupid. That's silly. Even David referred to, Christ, to God as you, thee, thy, whatever. Use personal pronouns to refer to God in the book of Psalms. Um, also one can simply sing about him or of heaven or his glory or his attributes or the testimony of him in their lives or or the pouring out of their feelings to God. They can sing about all these things. None of these things are exclusively unbiblical or immoral. So enough with the stupid objections. Also, uh, God worked through the old songs. Well, this is silly because yeah, God worked through the old songs. Now you're saying that God can't work in the new Make that make sense. Just because God used it back then doesn't mean he can't use it now. And just because he used it back then doesn't mean mean he can't use something new. He can use both. That's why I love churches that do both. My church does both. My church it does a fun little balance of both sides. So um, my other favorite is CCM originated with rock and roll. Well, once again, I defer you to our history lesson we just took. Uh, Most of the hymns we sing today came from time periods that were sexualized in nature, things like the Renaissance, the broken classical periods. Music was created for only worship. Uh, I'm just going to say this, guys. Uh, Name one verse where this is the case. There isn't one. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that music was only for worship. Uh, so music is just an expression and the order and structure naturally within music shows that it's something that God created because there's a structure to music that we have found but not that it's limited to worship we are to worship him in song that's it My other favorite is that note. Uh, Many of these songs are 7-Eleven songs, just vain repetition. And I'm just like, well, guys, notice Revelation 4.8. It has them repeating, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come for all eternity. So you're going to have a really hard time in heaven then. (laughs) Also, there's plenty of hymns that repeat themselves. Power in the blood does it, you know, very much redundantly. Um, Or my favorite uh, idea of the the 7-Eleven IFB version is God is so good. Song repeats itself. I just gave you the whole first verse. God is good. God is so good. He is so good to me. There you go. That's the song. Uh, Many hymns are repetitious, okay? In fact, they are designed to be repetitious in order for them to be easier for a congregation to sing and follow. Uh, Also, secular music is written backwards, uh, is written backwards, they say. They start with the beat and then build from that. Well, this is actually funny for a few reasons, okay? There's three reasons I have written down that when people say, well, they start with the beat first and they build on top of that. One, the Bible says nothing about the order by which songs have to be written. So your, your point is moot. Secondly, there's no evidence that this is how songs are actually written. Every writer actually writes with their own flow. Sometimes they pick a melody first. Sometimes they pick lyrics first. Sometimes they pick a beat first. Whatever helps them get their creative juices flowing. One must first prove through God's word how starting with a beat is immoral in any way before you even have a valid point here. And there isn't one. Uh, people say this all the time. Well, music is a moral thing. No, no music is amoral. i mentioned this before. Is tones and rhythms. That's it. That's all music is, tones and rhythms. There's nothing moral about it. That's like saying one sound is more moral than another sound. Let me ask you this. Is the truck engine more sinful than a firework? If no, then that's my point. They're inanimate. They're basically inanimate objects. It's inanimate tones. Just moral. or It's not immoral or moral. But rather, it's how it's used. And that's how everything else works. Any object is moral or amoral depending on how it's used. So just It's just tones and rhythms, like, that's all music is. So stop overcomplicating it. If music is uplifting, hookup culture, and abortion, well, then it's immoral. But if it's talking about how fun summer is with your friends, or how beautiful your wife is, or how great God is, it's perfectly moral. It's fine. Also, my favorite one I've heard a lot of people talk about is, Satan was the music director in heaven. I'm going to say this again. There is not a single verse that says he was a music director in heaven. It mentions instruments he played, depending on your translation, but playing an instrument doesn't make you the director, okay? I played an orchestra. I was not the director, all right? I was one of the violinists in the orchestra. It calls him the quote-unquote anointed cherub, but that, that simply means blessed, okay? That he was blessed by God more than it is about a position of authority over music, It also says that topaz and precious jewels belong to Satan as well. Does that mean we have to throw out all precious jewels because Satan corrupted them? How does that? See what I mean? You're holding it one way but not the other. You're not being consistent in your interpretation. Or you could just say that objects are amoral like a good normal person would and realize that Satan was once blessed by God and fell from grace. That's the point there. Uh, my other, this is such an anti-African uh, argument I've heard people use, uh, like it's part of like anti-Black culture. I swear, from the 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 culture that the IFP and others come from. But anyway, drums come from witch doctors in Africa. This is historically false and just stupid. It is emphatically false. Every culture has drums. I cannot emphasize that enough. It's very anti-African in music stance as well. Just all their music must be bad. African music isn't inherently evil. It just seems a way to really push out a, a culture that seems foreign to you. Um, I honestly think it's because of racist history in certain areas, and I'm not woke. Again, I, I do not use the racist label lightly. Uh, I only use it when I think it's actually legitimately racist uh, in intent. So anyway, uh, I, my, my other thing is, is it's just, they just wanna make money. Well, let me ask you simple, a simple question. Is it wrong to collect money for your work? Do you pay your pastor? Do you pay your secretary? And then what is wrong with uh, someone who writes music for a living making a living off of that? Also, what's funny is that most of these Christians are very conservative, which means they're about the free market and free trade, which means they should be capitalist pigs who are completely OK with somebody making a living off of their work. And it makes no, no no sense. So really, the burden of proof is on the person objecting here to show how it is wrong that someone makes money. It's on you, man. Uh, plus. What if all the printing companies that profit off of things like the KJV and other Bibles suddenly is that wrong because they make money off of that? Or we can just hold a consistent position, which is one is entitled to the fruits of their labor. Period. Uh, Ta da, problem solved. Also, do you have the, to answer for the lifestyle of King James himself? That's another thing I've, I've, I've wondered. Like, what if he did something immoral? If you're a King James onlyist, If he did anything immoral, do you have to answer for that because you like the translation? No, that's silly. That's a really dumb position. I mean, after all, he is Anglican, and the Anglicans broke off from the Catholic Church because the king wanted a divorce. So anyhow. So before taking jabs at the lifestyles of people uh, today, you better check your own history. That's the point there. And uh, also, if you believe people's work can be separated, uh, you better believe that people's work can be separated from the moral pitfalls. Otherwise, if you don't, you're going to run into a real problem with everything in your life. Um, the other thing is I've heard people say, well, it makes you want to move. Again, good. The Bible tells us to move and dance, so we can move on from that. It's a dumb objection. They have light shows and makes it a, and make it a nightclub. Well, I will say this. The music show, the, I mean, the light show and all that, that's not my preferred music, uh, My my preferred worship style. That's not mine. But it doesn't make it immoral. Okay? I might not prefer it, but... There's nothing that's actually wrong with it. I've been to places with it and I don't sit there and complain about it. So it's not my preferred one. I don't I find it distracting. But at the same time, someone who is artistic might be using that. As another artistic expression to express to God because, again, creating a new song, being creative creatures while uplifting the creator, I think that's a beautiful thing. That's another artistic expression. But again, you have to prove it in scripture that somehow light shows are bad, which I don't think you can do that at all. So anyway, uh, we are made in God's image, okay? Every time we exercise creativity, we are reflecting the image of God, period. So their notes are distorted, Again, this is one of those things that I don't understand. You can filter and distort any note. Uh, earlier, I played that harpsichord. That was on a p- electric piano. We distort. They distorted the notes to sound like a harpsichord. That doesn't make sense. Also, I'm going to grab my guitar here. You have like open chord. Like you have standard open chords, or you have like your muffled chords. So my question is, is which one's more which one's not? One of them is distorted, or See how arbitrary that is? Why is that wrong? You have there's nothing wrong with distorting the tone. In fact, it's another expression, another artistic expression that should be encouraged, because we should be uh, being creative in our music. So whether it has a crunchy rock sound or a smooth blues sound or a silky violin, all notes are the same notes. Like the G chord is G B D. Uh, they all have the same notes, and nowhere does it say that God prefers one over the other. And in fact, some tones can really express things better than others. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. Uh, also, when people say, the music is loud, and it drowns out the message. Guys, just because the music is loud doesn't make it immoral. It just doesn't. It, th- th- those two are not the same. Just because it's loud doesn't make it immoral. Um, that's more of a musical preference. And also... I mean, I like well-balanced music. I'm really picky. I don't want the vocalists overpowering the instruments. I don't want the instruments overpowering the vocalists. I've heard it both ways in both modern churches and conservative churches. I've heard it both. I just don't like that. But again, one has to prove that this is immoral and just that it's not just your preference speaking. And we have to be careful not to be pressing our preferences on the rest of the body of Christ, because that's not right, because you don't want their preferences pushed on you. That's the whole point of individual soul liberty. Anyway, uh, also this whole thing of music focuses on emotions and not God, guys. It's talking about it's talking about our emotions. Bad. If you say yes, then have you read the Book of Psalms? Because the Book of Psalms is all pouring out his emotions to God. It is well with my soul is a highly emotional song. Same with be thou my vision. If you're singing songs about God who sent his son to pay the ransom for your sins and you don't feel something, you might be a psychopath. Okay. You might want to get checked out. Again, one must show how expressing one's feelings to God in corporate worship is sinful. And there's not a single verse that says that. So you are wrong for using this objection. Period. Um. My other favorite, this is a really arbitrary one, too. Well, these songs are timeless. This is, again, that romanticizing a time period r- rather than the message at the core of the, of the t- issue at hand. So quality of the song, by the way, is what dictates whether it's timeless. Certain songs are timeless. Uh, we went through a bunch of really great songs during, for, during the classical music history. But uh, there's also a lot of songs, most songs probably back then you don't know. Because they aren't that great. They're not as good a quality. So it's really just quality songs that get saved. There are that get saved over time and become classics. Many songs today are doing that still. In Christ Alone is a more uh is a like, you know what, from the 80s, I think. And uh that one is considered now a classic. Ten Thousand Reasons, uh, Oceans. These ones are hitting the classic status already. And also, nowhere in Scripture does it make such an argument. This is just someone desperately holding on to their tradition, trying to justify it, rather than move along with the times and allow people to express with music that they know. It's such a selfish approach. It's just, well, my music and my preference has to take first. And you know those other people who are blessed by other music, they're just going to have to deal with mine. It's so selfish and it's pitiful that this is what divides churches um the other one they do not sing about the about the blood i already mentioned this red letters love ran red lead me to the cross east to west many speak of christ's sacrifice today in fact most modern christian songs deal with the kingdom of god the love of god through his son's sacrifice and god's faithfulness through trials those are like the main ones that people tend to focus on um, also, people pull out Ecclesiastes seven five as a poor argument, that it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Um, this is a really dumb argument, too, because this is not saying anything about music styles. This is merely talking poetically about the musings or the words of a fool, not a literal song, okay? <laughs> That's what this is referring to. Another one, people will point to that part where, like, David played the harp for King Saul and at one point it sued them, but the next point, like, uh, Saul got angry and threw a spear, I'm like, see, it was something about David's music. One of them soothed his soul. The other one brought, him the, brought up the devil. That is, again, reading into this. Saul wasn't pissed, like, he wasn't pissed because the music style. It was because he was ticked off at David. <laughs> again, exegesis versus eisegesis. Anyway, the, um, so here's another interesting point. Um, Notice how the words of Psalms, the words of Psalms were preserved. So the book of Psalms is songs sung by King David. But notice how it's the words of Psalms that were preserved, not the instruments, not the style or the sheet music. Merely the words. Because worship happens in the heart, not just in music styles. And I'll quote Ephesians 5:19 for that. Worship takes place in the heart. So it's the words that were preserved. Almost like the content is what makes something worshipful. Now Real quick, I'm going to take some time here, and we're going to just jump into some modern, uh, modern song examples from different music styles. We already have covered hymns and older songs. We've covered music theory here a little bit. Um, but what about different music styles? Is there doctrinally correct music in other various styles? And yes, there is, guys. And there's God-honoring music in every single music cell. Yes, even heavy metal. And I'll show that to you here in a second. So we're going to play some different clips of different songs. Uh, this, is, this is the part that I think is fun. We're going to blow through this, okay? First off, we have the song, All We Need. We All Need Jesus, which is pop.
1: We change everything. We're all broken people. Don't we all need Jesus? Every
0: moment of our life. 24, three, six, five. Now, my question isn't during that song, did that sound accurate to you? Is that doctrinally correct? Is that uplifting in its message? Of course, because we all need Jesus, right? Pretty straightforward. And then of course, worship music, worship style music, which is a little generic in its chord progression, but usually has fun with harmonies and people singing along. But here's 10,000 Reasons. <laughs> 10,000 Reasons is literally straight up quoting Psalm 103, okay? Because, again, it's the words of Psalms that were preserved not the music style, which is why Shane and Shane does a great job at doing um, the actual, their albums will be just the Psalms, so I think it's awesome. Uh, Then we have rap. Would you believe this Christ-honoring rap? Check this one out. Well, I wrote
1: this song for the Christian youth. I want to teach kids the Christian truth.
0: If you want to reach those kids on the street, then you got to do a rap to a hip-hop beat. No, just kidding, not that one. not that one. That one's so cringy. You need to look that up though. you've got to look that up. listen to the whole thing. It's so bad. Anyway, no, real Christian rap. here is the song Sovereign.
1: He's in control
0: Pretty cool, right? Uh, God is sovereign and that's what that song is uh, talking about. We also have alternative. Christian music, uh, check out this one. This is literally talking about creation, and I love this band. So he is literally quoting scripture and before talking about how God is the z- designer of all things. He's basically in the song giving the Kalam cosmological argument and the teleological argument. Okay, pretty neat. And then uh, we have heavy metal, which is, of course, the devil's music is what everyone thinks. But uh, there's a very, and I'm going to use two, probably the most popular Christian heavy metal bands just so you can get get like a wit your wet your appetite a little bit. I'm actually a metal head so I love this sort of thing. But uh here is a song by Disciple called Reanimate. Yeah. Notice how this entire song is about how Christ took the sin upon himself and paid for our sins. And then it it has an anthem in the middle. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And notice how the music style actually complements that message. Because it was really just talking about how intense that really was. So it uses intense music to give that message. I think that's awesome. Um, And another heavy metal band uh, called Demon Hunter uses uh, this song, Uh, there's a great song called Lesser Gods.
1: If
0: you just listen to that, it gives you very much Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego vibes, vibes, doesn't it? It talks about not, it talks about being willing to be martyrs and not bowing before the idols, lest we bow to lesser gods. And so it's a song kind of about, like, war and standing up and courage and strength, which is why heavy metal fits the style so well. And then we have weird indie stuff, right? Um, this is a, This is my, actually, probably one of my top five bands of all time, the Classic Crime. Love them. Going to see them live here very soon. Very excited. But, uh... Here is indie, uh, an indie group called The Classic Crime. This is not my favorite song of theirs. My favorite song of theirs is actually uh, City of Orphans. That's my favorite. But this one is one that I think the RFP network people would really appreciate. And I totally recommend you listening to it after uh, this episode called Spare Time. But you closed off opportunity with narrow. And what is the point of this? Well, it says in the middle of spare time, if legalism saves, then I guess we're all dead, but I, for one, am not stopping in the grave to rest my head. That's a very biblical message. But a song that says we are, w- we are wasting our time by focusing on arbitrary things, and we are showing our- and it's exposing our hypocrisy and exposing our foolish use of our time. And if we want to live on the side of God, there's no such thing as spare time. So of course, um, Southern Gospel is a very popular one. Southern Gospel is uh, obviously talking about a lot of times about the themes of heaven and the greatness of God. And Southern Gospel is Christian in nature. Then we have secular music. Did you know sometimes secular music hits biblical themes, whether on purpose or by accident? But one of my favorite songs by Breaking Benjamin is Ashes of Eden. Amazing song, talking about um, the struggle of faith as a human being who lives um, in, uh, whose life has been utterly wrecked and destroyed and lives in the quote, ashes of Eden is a beautiful song. Totally recommend checking it out. So let's get to the application here, okay? Let's do this. All right. So all music styles have great songs that are biblically and theologically accurate. All genres have terrible music as well and terrible writers, which is why we should never stop using discernment. Sometimes a writer might nail one song, he might kill it, it might be amazing. But then next he might kind of make write a flop. It is what it is. This is the music world. Um, music is amoral and it changes over time, geography, culture, and subjective person to person. A lot of music, uh, the music I worship to personally, is far more obscure in both the artist. A lot of people don't know them. The artists and the meaning. I love that because it makes me think about the themes. Like I know it's a Christian group, so I have to really listen to the words and it's very abstract and weird. So I have to like try to piece it together. And it's fun because I think about it and it makes me think about biblical themes throughout the day then when I put the piece together, I'm like, oh, my word, that's so deep. And I didn't realize like, it come, becomes deeper and deeper the more I think about it. I love that sort of music. Um, I don't usually like the plain, straightforward worship music because it's too plain, it's too straightforward, it's too boring, it's too easy, okay? Um, the only reason to be against any sort of music is purely preferential, okay? What we are doing is we are bottlenecking the Holy Spirit, by having this controversy we're bottlenecking the holy spirit and saying no you must operate within these particular boundaries within the music style from this particular geographical location within this arbitrary period of time we're bottlenecking it when i was pastoring uh when i was a lead pastor at door baptist church before i moved to frontline bible when I was pastoring there i had an old lady she's in her 80s she always sang really old school like country g- country gospel uh uh, songs, songs I've never even heard of before. And she loved doing that. That was like her favorite thing to do. Um, and I, you know, I thought it was a blessing. It was nice because she'd bring something from her childhood, she's 80 years old, and sing it in front of everybody. And I thought that was wonderful. And then we'd turn around, we'd have a young person go up there and sing a song by Lauren Daigle. And then we'd have somebody go up there and sing a song maybe from the 80s. It was, it was nice because it was just, we did it all. We allowed people to use the music that blessed them and bless others with it as long as it was biblical. So really, it's an insult to God to make this a controversy. It's an insult to God, and it's an insult to God's creative act. We're saying that we can't be creative. We're saying that we ha- he, he has to operate in a certain way, and then we're telling people's hearts for, for God that they, ha- they have to operate in a certain way. And we are to operate in a certain way, which is God's way, which is what he has expressed in his revelation through his word, but never once... Does it say anything about music style? Just has to uplift his name with loud symbols and a new song and all that. And yes, do I have a problem with a lot of the like cheesy generic music nowadays? Yes, but I also have a issue with a lot of the cheesy generic hymns as well, because I just don't find them interesting. And I'm not saying they're sinful or wrong. I'm just saying yeah, it's kind of shallow. <laughs> but sometimes shallow pieces are good because sometimes it's good to go back to the basics and remind yourself of the simple things so anyway not everyone will connect to every single type of music equally i'm sure when i played some of the heavy metal stuff you're like will worships to this but yeah i worship to it and it's a good time good head banging time (laughs) and again there's nothing wrong with being like with with rocking out good grief um again uh Theme is important. So, anyway, but it's uh, something we can all enjoy, right? Music is something we can all enjoy. We might not all enjoy everyone's music equally, but it's something we can all enjoy. So, all I can say is this, I know this has been probably one of our most requested episodes to talk about and I hope I was able to cover a lot of this stuff thoroughly enough. Um, I apologize, it took so long to get this out. I, we are, I'm very busy and this was a very long episode and actually I had to film it twice because I didn't like my first one. I didn't think I covered things as thoroughly as I would have liked and I think we're just gonna go with this one and hopefully I covered the main parts where the other smaller questions will just answer themselves with a lot of the, co- the ground I covered today. So I'm just going to leave you with this. Um, first of all, don't, first off, don't forget to like and subscribe to The Church Split. Also, please support us on Patreon. We put a lot of work into this, and uh, it would be great to get some support there, even if it's just a dollar a month. Um, also, we're going to start doing more and more episodes with Brian. I want Brian on here all the time because we have great chemistry together. Um, we didn't do this one because Brian's not a musician. He knows some about music but it's one of those things where he's like, "Ah, that's not really my topic. That's more yours so I think you should cover that. But we're going to start trying to get him on every single episode if at all possible because I think he adds a very strong uh, layer to this. I think we do best our best work when we do it together. Plus it's fun to listen to. It's not just a lecture. It's not a monologue. You get to hear interaction. So uh, that's our goal. Uh, we also have some other fun things. We have a sign that if my buddy Tim made me coming up soon, which will be super fun. But otherwise, guys, may the may the word of God dwell with you richly, and I'll read Psalm 95.1 to you in closing. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So guys, worship God in spirit and in truth. Worship him biblically and doctrinally correct, but throw the style out the window. Allow different styles in your church, and don't Gatekeep music styles or your music preferences. The Bible says nothing about them. Stop using your preferences to legalistically hold things over other people's heads. Let's worship God together. So come, let us sing for the joy to the for the joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the Rock of our salvation. Thank you guys. Take care, and we'll see you in the next episode on the church split.